time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Yes. Good morning, Desperation. I am so excited to be here this morning. As David Perkins mentioned, um, I do have four boys. Uh, Parker is seven, Cohen is six, Brooks is three, and Smith is one. If you say them all together, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith, sounds like a law firm. And um, I love the opportunity that God has given to me and to my wife to raise up four men of God. And, um, and it's amazing to, to, to experience what it is to be a dad. And in one of my favorite stories, I don't want to tell very many, but I just want to tell one story. This is just about the, the intense competition that happens in my house. My house is full of Spider-Man band-aids and wrestling and, and cuts and bruises. We've had the fire truck to our house twice uh, for people falling, you know, my, my boys like falling off of the tall things and teeth have been knocked out, black eyes. I mean, that is normal. My wife is amazing. But one time I was, I was walking into our kitchen and there at the table was my two oldest, Parker and Cohen. And, and, I, and they were drawing, coloring. And, and I said, so what are, you, what, are you guys, what are you guys doing? We're coloring. I said, well, what are you, what are you doing? And, and Parker says, my oldest, he says, I'm drawing a butterfly. And he had this kind of butterfly thing. And immediately Cohen said, I'm drawing a robot that kills butterflies. And, and so that's the type of... of, of testosterone that is in my house every day. It's really, it's really amazing. I, I'm passionate about the things that David is talking about, that this conference is about, about each one of you being a man and a woman of God, not just tomorrow, not just next week, not just next month, but next year, and the year after that, and the decade after that, and the decade after that, and the decade after that, so that you get to the end of your life and you say, I have run, just as Paul says, I have run the race. And I have run the race to get the prize. It can happen. But there's some things that are so important and so necessary for us to get inside of us. Some things that are so necessary for us if we're going to run the race. We're not running little sprints. This is a massive race. This is a massive marathon. One of my favorite authors, I know David Perk, one of David Perkins' favorite authors, A.W. Tozer. My favorite A.W. Tozer book is called The Knowledge of the Holy. It's a thin book, but it is dense. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a sentence, a phrase, a, a something that he says in the first early chapters where he says, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let me say it again. The most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. 
Now, so often we might think, well, the most important thing that comes to my mind when I, that I think about it would be about me or it would be about my, my life or my future or my girlfriend or my money or my family. The most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. Because what you think about God will determine what happens in your relationships, what happens in your job, what happens in the way that you live your life. And so often if you say to somebody, well, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Maybe, maybe you haven't thought about that. Maybe you wouldn't be able to articulate it, but maybe if, if some things that do come to our minds is, well, we think about God, we think about this, this God who's really kind of just a little too busy for me. I mean, he's got bigger things to think about than me. So maybe that causes us to say, well, I, David talks about prayer, desperation is about like, praying and prayer matters, but I don't know if prayer really matters because when I think about God, he's way, he's, he's got much bigger things to think about than me and my life. Or you think about God and you kind of have this on-star God idea. You know, on-star, it's the thing that they put into some cars these days where like if you get into an accident, you press the on-star. Actually, you don't even have to press the button sometimes. If you get into an accident, the car automatically knows to call the on-star office, the on-star lady. And the on-star lady, I don't know where these people are, but they're just waiting for a call. And so when you get into an accident, all of a sudden you hear this voice and you know, I've heard the commercials. I don't have one of these in my car, but they didn't make OnStars when I had my, when my cars were made, and so. Uh, but the, they they call it. Are you okay? We are sending an ambulance on the way right now. Or you can call the OnStar person and ask for directions. Where do I go? I'm lost. How do I get to this place? Or if there's any type of emergency, any type of need, push the OnStar button. That's sometimes how we think about God. I'm in an, I'm in a crisis. God, push the On God button. Yes, what can I do for you? I'm in an emergency. I'm sending the emergency vehicle. It's on its way. I don't know where to go. Oh, let me give you. And that, those are the, you call God an emergency. He's your on-star God. He's your emergency God. Or maybe when you think about God, you just think that God is not really all that strong. And so what that means is that I don't know if I can really trust him to really take care of me, take care of things in my life, take care of situations around me. So I really have to take things into my own hands. See, because how we think about God determines how we live and we interact with him. And if we think that God is small... We're going to live as if he is small. I am convinced that if you and I are going to love God when we are all old and gray, our understanding of God better be massive. Because if it's not massive, when you, as David talked about on Thursday night, when you run into a big problem in your life, when you run into some sort of crisis in your life, when something doesn't go the way it's supposed to go, if God's not bigger than your situation, if God's not bigger than your understanding, if God's not bigger, then somehow you're going to say, well, I don't know about this thing. 
If you're going to serve God and be loving God and worshiping God a decade from now, then I'm going to suggest to you that your understanding and the thing that comes into your mind when you think about God is that he is huge. Because a little small understanding of God won't last you a decade. It won't last you another 20 years. It won't last you another 25 years. Your understanding of God, it needs to be so big that you think, I don't, I'm not even going to get to know God in completeness all the days of my life. And that's why I need millions and trillions of years in heaven. Too often what we think is that the most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think about ourselves. The more self-awareness I have, the more I understand my feelings and the understand of who I am, then the, that's, that's, that's the most important thing about me. Self-awareness, is, is, it's helpful, but God-awareness in life is critical. Self-awareness is good. We need to be self-aware. You know the people who are totally unself, they're not self-aware at all. They're usually the most awkward people in the world. Self-awareness is helpful. It's helpful for social situations. It's helpful for life. But you know what's more important than that is God-awareness. See, I think actually David had, had some self-awareness and some God-awareness. If you read throughout the Psalms, actually we'll just stick on one right now, but Psalm chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13, listen to this. This is David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Here's David. He's pretty self-aware. He knows that he's lonely. He knows that he feels abandoned. He knows that right now he's feeling like, I don't understand. Where are you, God? What's going on? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. David is, is saying, I don't know where you're at. What's happening? He's, this is some self-awareness happening right here. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now, if that was the end of, of Psalm 13, it might be kind of a little discouraging. Or at least you'd say, okay, well, self-awareness, it's good. Verse 5. But. I love that word right there. But. It's a beautiful conjunction word because what it does is it ties two things together. It means not the end of the sentence, not the end of the idea, not the end of the paragraph, not a period, all done, but, but. But, meaning, okay, here's, here's some thoughts, here's my self-awareness, but. So you might say, I don't understand, I, where's my girlfriend, where's my boyfriend, I don't know, I feel alone, I, I want this, and I don't understand why this is happening, and what about my parents, and I don't know why they're breaking up, and I don't know why th- this person's been, uh, has betrayed me or hurt me, but, beautiful word, but. But. I trust in your unfailing love. With my heart, but I trust in in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I'm not sure that what happened between the, I don't know where you are, how long are you going to forget me, but that all of a sudden David is just like, 
oh man, that was, that, was, that was kind of rough for like 10 seconds, but now, oh man, I feel so great. My guess is, is that th- he might still be feeling the same way that he's feeling. Had the same self-awareness. I don't know where you are, God, but my self-awareness does not determine my worship and my understanding of you. But my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. For he has been good to me. David had self-awareness. But he was more God-aware. What if you and I, over the course of the next 10 years, were more God-aware? We grow in self-awareness. Helpful. But more than that, you grow in God-awareness. And I would suggest to all of us that our God-awareness has been weakened. We live in a culture that's all about us. And it it causes us to be very self-aware and to think mostly about what we want and what we need. I mean, think think about Starbucks. I love Starbucks. Starbucks is a beautiful place. If you're ever feeling alone and wondering where God is, go to Starbucks. Jesus is there. (laughs) When I go to Starbucks, I order a triple tall, whole milk, no whip, one pump mocha. And if I want to drink it right away, I order it at 160 degrees because they usually make it at about 100, 175, which burns my tongue. So, that's what I like. Perfect. And you all probably go to Starbucks and you order your perfect you drink. And somehow we kind of think that God is like that. Well, God, I want you to be like this and serve me. And every part of my life should be like that. Well, I'll just walk in and I'll tell you what I need and what I want. And because of things like that, I would suggest that our awareness and our understanding of God has been weakened. And we've become more self-aware than we are God-aware. And so what I'm talking about here is that we develop a greater theology. Now, for some of you, that word just scared you. Theology. You think, oh, theology. Theology is, is for pastors and for gray-haired, long-bearded men that work in dust-covered offices with big, huge books. Not true. All of you, all of us are theologians. That might not mean that you read every big, huge, thick book, but it does mean that we all have an understanding. Theology is just an understanding of God, the study of God. And I love what Jesus says to us when he's praying for us, his disciples, and he prays for that we would know God. He's saying, I want them to know theology, not just in mind and intellect, but I want them to have an understanding of God. So you and I are all theologians. We're all studying theology, and we all have a theology. Whether we know it or not, we have an understanding of God. And because of the culture that we live in, I'm convinced that we think fairly small about God. And we oftentimes, because of this Starbucks culture, we want to get God to the place where we can use him, where where he's available when we need him. But I'm convinced that if we put him in a place where we can understand him, completely understand him, put him into our nice little this is who God is box, then he can never surprise us. 
Never overwhelm us. Never astonish us. I want to be overwhelmed, astonished, and amazed by God for the rest of my life. And if I think that I have figured God out and I've got this little on-star push-the-button God, then chances are he's not going to surprise me. And it's because we've made God in our image. Psalm chapter 50, verse 21 says, These things you have done and I have kept silent. You thought I, the I am God, was altogether like you. I want to be amazed when I think about God. And if you are amazed in a year or five years or 10 years and 20 years down the road, you will be able to walk with God for the rest of your life. In Exodus chapter three, I'm gonna sit here for just a minute. Exodus chapter three, verse 13, this is Moses. He's wandering through the wilderness. And this bush starts to light on fire. I think that would be pretty amazing. I think that would be slightly astonishing. Potentially, it was overwhelming to Moses. We know that he walked up to the bush, took his shoes off because he was so amazed. And Moses said to God, and he ends up talking to him. I'm just going to recount a little bit of the story in the beginning of, of chapter 13 where God talks to Moses. And he tells him some things that he wants to communicate to his people. And God, Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What's this God's name that you just talked to? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I wonder if Moses was like, I am. Yes. I am. You're going to finish your sentence, God. I am. See, because all the nations around the Israelites had like the sun God and the moon God and the rain God and the God of the harvest and the God of the family. And the, I mean, they hundreds, thousands of gods, God of protection. So maybe he's expecting, I am the burning bush God. I am the take your sandals off because this is holy ground, God. I'm the fire God. I'm the tree God. I'm the tree and fire God. But he just says to him, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. I am. I am is translated to be. It's just, I, I am. I am here. I'm, I, I'm, I'm being. I'm, I'm not just one little fire God, sun God. I am. I, am, I don't need. A, I am everything. I don't want you to have a hundred gods or a thousand gods. I am your God. I am everything to you. The Jewish people, when they would think about or talk about God, and they would come to the place in a sentence where they might say Yahweh, which is, which which is, I am. They'd often not even say it. And they write it. They would write it 
without the vowels so that they wouldn't really write the whole word. Why? Because they're like, this is, this is God. This is I, I, I am. Oftentimes when they were translating or writing down, they would actually have a different pen when they would write Yahweh. They would write and be saying, I am. And yet we so often have this personal homeboy God. Not sure that homeboy God really mixes with I am. God is personal. God wants you to know him and he knows you and he knows the intimate things about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. But I wonder if we've just lost this I am God by thinking he's our homeboy. Jesus then walks on the earth and he says to the Pharisees that before Abraham, I am. So he says, I am God. You might be saying, man, I love that. I love that. I I wish I was Moses. I wish I could. I mean, if I saw a burning bush that wasn't being consumed and God spoke through the burning bush and said, I am, I think uh, that would blow me away. I mean, that would do it for me. I, I, I could handle that. So, so I agree with you, Aaron, but I, I don't know, how do I, how do I get there? Let me, let me help you out just a, just a minute. Let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1. And we're actually just going to start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, so often we might just nonchalantly read that verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As if that's not a big deal. In the beginning, God, the I am, created the heavens. We'll just stop there. You might have thought you're on summer break, but we're going to have a little little astronomy lesson, if you don't mind, for just a second. Let me show you some pictures. This, this picture right here, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. That's a picture right there of the Milky Way, Milky Way galaxy. It's about 100,000 light years in diameter and about 1,000 light years thick. Now you're like, okay, um, you lost me. (laughs) So let me just tell you about a light year. A light year is the distance that light travels in one year. The speed of light is 186,287.5 miles per second. That means that in one second, light would have traveled back and forth from Denver, Colorado to Delhi, India. One second, 25 times. In one second, that's how fast light is traveling. And that's how, that's how wide or long a, a light year is. Every second, it's going 186,000 miles, which is 25 times back and forth from India to Delhi. A light year is roughly, just so you can get it down into like miles, we understand like driving a mile to the store or to, the, to school or something like that. If you could travel, a light year is roughly five, tri- five 
630 miles, 630 million miles, 5,878,630,000,000 miles. So we'll just round that to 6 trillion if you're okay with that. So it travels 6 trillion miles in one standard year. 6 trillion miles. Our Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years in diameter. So if you could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross the Milky Way galaxy. The galaxy that we live in. Now that's pretty cool. But I want you to think about this. There are, an estimate, there are estimated to be about 100 billion galaxies in the universe. We live in one that is 100,000 light years across. The closest galaxy to us is the Andromeda galaxy. That's what that, the Andromeda galaxy looks like, thanks to the Hubble telescope. 2.5 million light years away from Earth. 2.5 million it's the next closest galaxy to the Milky Way, and it's twice as big as our galaxy. Two, 200,000 light years in diameter. It'll take you 200,000 years to cross it, going at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. In the Milky Way galaxy, there are 2.5 trillion stars. 2.5 trillion stars. So when you look up into the heavens... At night, on a clear night, maybe you get outside of a city and you're away from the lights and you can see, wow, look at all these stars. You might see 10,000 stars. In our galaxy, just our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, 2.5 trillion stars. Our star called the sun it warms the earth. And there are stars. I mean, we think, wow, it's huge, it's bright, it's warm. There are, over six, there are stars that are over 600,000 times brighter than our sun. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Those are just a couple of the galaxies. We could take all day and up till next year and talk about just to kind of start to dent into the 100 billion other galaxies that are out there, which we, of course, don't know all of them about, but we have some pictures of different ones, and we're just learning about just a couple of them. So not only do we have galaxies and light years, we also have nebula. Nebula is one of my favorite things. This is a nebula. A nebula is, an, is, a, cl- is a cloud of dust, Hydrogen gas, helium gas, and plasma. And the way that they interact with one another causes there to be bright lights and colorful lights and the ways that they reflect off of one another. And actually, in some cases, is where, the, where stars are born, are within nebula. But at the same time, stars also eat at nebula. So if, it's, if, if, it, if, if, if these stars are born, they, they actually start to discre- dis- they, 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 they born and then they disintegrate the nebula. Let me show you my favorite nebula. I just have a personal favorite. This is the Pillar Nebula. This Pillar Nebula, that, that it's not all of it. We, I just, that's part of it. The rest of it is not in the picture. 
But that portion, that pillar right there, just so you know, is three light years tall. Three light years, which means it would take you three years to go from one end to the other, going 186,000 miles per second. What's happening there is this push and eating away by the stars around it, as well as being eaten from the inside out. It would only take, it'll only take another 100,000 years before that's gone. This next picture is of a star cluster. Remember, we have 2.5 trillion stars in our galaxy. This is those brighter stars and the ways that they're clustered together is because of some of the gravitational pull that's within stars. In the beginning, God created the heavens. You want to think big about God? Think about the heavens he created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's talk about our earth for just a second. First of all, we live on this big piece of dirt called earth. One of the most amazing things I think about earth is the gravitational pull that happens on the earth. If we had too much gravity, if gravity was just a little bit stronger, you and I wouldn't just walk around like this. We'd go like this. Because we, we'd actually wouldn't just be pulled to the ground ground would like crush us because it would pull us down and we wouldn't just be stuck here we'd be like pulled into the ground and that would cause death (laughs) and if there's not enough gravity we would start to float around we wouldn't that which would be pretty cool I think but might cause some problems just a couple of degrees of gravitational pull one way or the other on our earth throughout the winter time especially if you live in Colorado someplace like Colorado it snows that right there is a snowflake I know that's profound and amazing to you but what really is amazing about a snowflake is the fact that no two snowflakes are alike. So these are just a few different pictures of some different snowflakes and the absolute amazing variety of snowflakes that God has made. And some scientists have tried to estimate the number of snowflakes that fall in one winter. And they have estimated that there are one septillion Snowflakes that fall in a winter. That is one with 24 zeros after it. That's a trillion, trillion. And not one of them is the same. Speaking of not the same, no two zebras have the same stripe pattern. And if we move to trees, 
If you cut a tree down and you look at the rings within a tree, of all the trees, think about how many trees there are all over the world. No two trees have the same tree ring design as another tree. All right, let's move to the oceans. We're just in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, by the way. I mean, you know, you might say, well, if you want to learn about God, read your Bible. Yeah, just read the first verse. If you want your mind blown. Can we talk about fish? Let's talk about salmon for just a minute. This is a salmon jumping up a waterfall. No big deal. See, what happens is that salmon are, are born in these gravel beds, but what they for some reason do by instinct is that they travel back to those places to reproduce before they die. But in order to do that, they go up these rivers, and on rivers, there's waterfalls. And they can jump in one single leap 10, 10 feet, waterfalls that are 10 feet tall. You think, well, what if they run into a waterfall that's bigger than 10 feet? People who study salmon have seen salmon go up a 50-foot waterfall by jumping up and getting onto a rock about 10 feet up, and then another 10, and then another 10, another 10, and to the top. Oh, by the way, God did that. They swim about three to ten miles a day against the current, up waterfalls, and it's all just done by instinct. I mean, there's no roadmaps inside those, you know, carrying around their iPhone, salmon, salmon iPhone, GPS me back to my, you know, back to my gravel bed. All right, let's go to a little bit of a bigger fish. Let's talk about the blue whale. It's a pretty big whale, I think. It's a pretty, pretty large fish. Let me tell you how big this fish is. The size of that blue whale's heart is the size of an SUV. I drive an SUV. After I learned that fact, when I, the, the next time I got into my, my, my SUV, I thought, wow, this is like sitting in a whale's heart. <laughs> I'm driving a whale heart around today. It's sometimes hard for us to think of these huge numbers and to be able to compare it. An average blue whale is about the equivalent of about 25 fully grown African elephants put into one body. The comparison of an African elephant to a blue whale is, it would be like comparing us to a rabbit. The thing's huge. It's got the heart the size of a car. I mean, imagine the blood that's pumping through that heart. I mean, the pump itself could probably just like obliterate us all. Now, speaking of the oceans, there are currently 212,000 known marine species in our oceans. But marine biologists estimate that between 500,000 and five million, which I think is so funny because it's kind of a big difference. 
500,000 and 5 million, exactly. (laughs) Marine species have not yet been discovered or even described. And I think sometimes about, you know, discovering this amazing fish. Maybe if you've gone scuba diving or snorkeling, you see these incredible fish. Wow. And I wonder if God's like, oh, you haven't seen anything yet. I mean, I've got like four or five more million. Maybe, maybe you guys will never see it, but I don't care. It's just awesome. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) On that earth, if we read just a few more verses, we don't even have have to get out of chapter one. God creates man. I just, I'm going to race through these, but the, this is, the acid in your stomach is strong enough to dissolve razor blades. Don't try that, by the way. And yet, it's gentle enough to digest food and not eat our stomach, thankfully. Human brain, I think we've got a brain picture here, isn't that beautiful? What's amazing to me is that it, that is just tissue and gray matter and all of that. But what's happening inside of that brain, inside of each and every one of us at this moment, what is happening inside of there? The human brain has about 100 billion neurons. Each is essential in completing a full thought. Remember, there's 100 billion galaxies. And within each of your brains... 100 billion neurons that are required for thought. Some of you are thinking, I think my brother doesn't have 100. I think he got maybe 100 million, but... The human brain is capable of having more ideas than the number of atoms in the known universe. The human heart has to pump blood back and forth through 70,000 miles of blood vessels in our body once every minute. Let me help you understand that just for a second. The distance around the earth is 7,926 miles, almost 8,000 miles. So in one minute, the amount of time that it takes to pump blood through all of our blood vessels in what happens every minute, you could circle the earth over nine times. That's happening in your body right now, by the way. The human eye is capable of seeing more than one million simultaneous visual impressions. You can also distinguish between eight million graduations, different shades of color. Eight million it can distinguish between. It's like when you see something and you're like, oh, those pinks aren't exactly the same. Those reds aren't exactly the same. And you, know, you can't put your finger on it, but you just know that there's just something off. Your eye distinguishes that and it can do that up to 8 million different things. And we, let's boil down to the most small thing within us, our DNA strands. If all of your DNA strands were stretched out, it would reach the moon 6,000 times. Just one of us. If we stretch them out. End to end. There are three billion letters in the human genome in the DNA in, in DNA. And if we were to stack them, 
they would reach a height 7,000 times the height of the Empire State Building. That's inside of you, inside of me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God did that. He's huge. Listen to this, Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. They're starry hosts. By the breath of his mouth. Stars. Oh, by the way, 2.5 trillion, one galaxy. That is a huge God. Revelation 12, or excuse me, Revelation 1. John is here. He has this vision. Here's this, this voice, turns around to see the voice. This is verse 12 that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. No big deal. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. And when I saw him, I said, what's up, homeboy? When I saw him, I fell to my feet as though dead. At worship. See, when God says, I am, he's not saying, I was I'm, I'm, I will be someday, but I am. I'm, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm the creator, I'm the sustainer. I'm your savior, I'm your father, I am the provider. I'm not just wise, I am wisdom. I'm not just loving, I am love. I'm not just somebody that gives you peace, I am peace, I am. And you say, well, I can't quite wrap my mind around this. I don't, I hope you, you can't, I can't, we can't. And that's what, what we need to be able to recognize. I can't wrap my mind around that. And God created that. So God is bigger than that. And so if you say, oh, I don't know, why is this happening? I don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't know why did this happen? Why did this person die? Why did this work out? Why didn't this work out? Why didn't this happen this way? And you say, I don't know, but God, you're huge. And I'm just going to worship you in the middle of all of this. I can be like David and say, I don't understand. I don't understand. But wow, God. But, but, God, you're amazing. You made these stars and you made the galaxies. 100 billion, 70,000 miles of this stuff going through my body. Wow. I don't understand. I don't know why things are going the way they go or they don't go. But God, you're awesome. I love you. See, most of when you think about God, my hope is that big ideas beyond your brain ideas come into your brain so that you say, big God, big worship. Oh, I cannot help but love you. I cannot help but worship you. I mean, I, I, many of you aren't from here, from Colorado Springs. I live in Colorado Springs and it's interesting. You know, we drive up and down. I drive up and down I-25 all, every day and drive right past Pike Speed. Do-do-do, yeah, nice. But then I have like some friends and some of you that will come here and, and, and I see people like just like this. Just staring at the mountain. What are you doing? Dude, 
I live in Kansas. That's all. How, how do you guys drive and not get accidents every day around here with that thing? Oh. And I wonder sometimes if we have gone through life kind of just taking God. Oh, yeah, that's God. That's God over there. It's Pike's Peak. You know, it's no big deal. What if we would walk through life and be like, oh, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm just thinking about God. Dude, your like, girlfriend just broke up with you. I know. God. I know I'm really sad about that, but God. You want your worship to be big? You want your worship to be long? You want your worship to be for the rest of your life? Big God. Huge God. Bigger than our brain. God. Let's stand up. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we start here this morning and we repent for the ways that we've put you into a little box. We've taken you for granted, we've dismissed you, we thought you're small, we thought you're weak, we thought you're just available to us when we needed a little bit of help, we just, we've made you to be like us, we've made, us, made you to be small. God, we repent for that and we say that we want to, we want to, we want you to surprise us. We want mystery in our relationship with you. We want, we want to be amazed by the fact that we can know you, but that we will continue to know you and we will continue to learn about you and be overwhelmed and astonished by you and recognize even more our need for you and recognize how small we are and how big you are and how amazing that is for the rest of our days. Help us, Lord Jesus to see you as massive, bigger than us, bigger than any issue, bigger than anything that we might run into, bigger than our world, recognizing that no matter what happens throughout our lives, for the rest of our lives, we worship you because you're bigger than anything. You're bigger. You're amazing. In the beginning, you created and over time this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart they've got passion for God they're leading intercession on their stools they're set apart, consecrated under God and they've got a vision and a mission for their life